today on It's Time. This is why we need to be forgiven, and this is why God sent His Son to die on the cross for us. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. So, open your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. And if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Colossians as we continue on in chapter 1. We've been going through the book of Colossians, just starting this book. Kind of an interesting book. This town is really a Gentile city, the town of Colossae. Not too far from Ephesus, this book written around 60 AD. And what I've really found interesting about it is it doesn't matter whether you were in 60 AD or you're in 2017, men's and women's needs are still the same. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and remind us, God, of your preeminence, that you're before all things. And so because you're before us, we don't have to worry about what's behind us. And so as we study today, may your Holy Spirit speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a little bit of review here. Paul had never been to the church at Colossae. And because of that, when he heard about them, he was really concerned for them because he recognized they were a group of new believers. And so verse 9, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Really, this is really important because, you know, the religions of the world are oftentimes shrouded in mystery and they want to keep it that way so only the mucky mucks know what's really going on. And this is one of the things that God does not want to do. He wants to reveal everything to you up front. I like that about God. You know, you'll have religions come to your door. And you'll have them begin to share with you uh, another testament of Jesus Christ. Or they'll, they'll start asking you about end time things and, and, and try to intrigue you. And then once they get their claws into you, then they begin to really share what their whole gig is really about. In other words, well, you'll never go to heaven unless you're sealed in a temple. Or you'll never go to heaven unless you uh, follow the dietary laws and the Old Testament uh, laws of Moses. Well, when we really read about Jesus Christ and who he is, God wants you to know everything as much as you can know about him today. In other words, not things like, well, you know, really, ladies, your resurrection uh, for uh, Judgment Day and eternity is based upon your husband whom you're sealed to. No, they wouldn't really tell you that. In fact, I think it's interesting that sometimes these religions that come to your door... They knock on your door, smiling faces and everything. And if they really told you what they believe, you would run the other way. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, huh, what, knock on the door, you open your door. Hi, hey, 
We got a new testament for you. Really, well, what do you believe? We believe Satan and Jesus are brothers. You know what? You'd probably go, that fast. Because it's bizarro. But they don't tell you these things at first. They first get you into their thing, and then they begin to reveal all the stuff. That is not what the Word of God, what the Bible is about. God wants you to know everything about him immediately. Why is that? Because in all knowledge, as he says here, filled with the knowledge of his will and in wisdom, in spiritual understanding. God wants you to know him. And when you know him, you'll know who you are. I get tired of hearing about all these different groups that what they have is they have self-realization or they have self-motivational speaking or they have self-help and all these other things, uh, motivational teachings. You don't need that. All you need to know is who God is, and God will tell you who you are. That's all really God wants. You know him, you'll know you. Why? He made you. I like that about God. And God doesn't have secrets, and God doesn't. Well, now that you're in the inner sanctum, you've joined our club, and now because you're in our club, we'll reveal to you the real truth. You don't get that in the Bible. God lays everything out. Whosoever will may come, except a man become as a child, he'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I like that about God. God's honest. He's up front. Notice he says in verse 10, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When you walk with God, when you have fellowship with God, you learn of God. Novel concept. The more you hang around somebody, the more you're going to get to know them. Now, a lot of times when we hang around people, we find we don't want to know about them. You know, when they really start saying, well, by the way, I got something I got to tell you. A lot of times this happens in the dating world. You know, you meet somebody and, and they're real nice and everything like that. And then after you begin to know them a little bit, they open up and say, by the way, I'm wanted in three states. I'm a felon and, uh, you know, I'm a bank robber. You go, oh, OK, I'll see you later. That's one of the problems sometimes. The more you know about somebody, the less you want to know. However, with the Bible, the more we know about God, the more we want to know. Why? Because the fathomable depth of his knowledge and wisdom. The more you know about God, the more you're going to know about yourself. And that's just the way it works. Now, he tells us here, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all the patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance to the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that great to know that those things that you did wrong are in your past? Now, there's nothing more the devil wants to do is come along and try to throw your past back in your face. And you'll find a lot of times people will try to do the same thing. And they're really handy in the hands of Satan. That's what they're good for. I mean, but you want to run away from those kind of people. Because really, every day, his promises are new every morning. And again, friends, if anybody doesn't think they've sinned, if somebody was to follow your thoughts around, how big a sinner would you be? 
This is why we need to be forgiven. And this is why God sent his son to die on the cross for us. Not because, uh, again, that we could make it on our own. We need help. We need his help. And so, as he tells us here, giving thanks to the Father. Now, again, he's the one that makes it all happen. We thank God for that. And then notice he also says, strengthen in all might according to his glorious power. God offers us strength. You know, it's not within any of us to be good on our own. Haven't you ever looked at your kids and said, can't you just be good? And they look, no. (laughs) Well, God says the same thing to us. We can't be good on our own either. The Bible tells us we need supernatural help. That's why it's so easy to sin. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to sin? I mean, it's like doesn't take any work at all. I didn't have to go to school to learn how to sin. I just kind of learned it naturally. Why is that? It's called the old sin nature. But when we become born again, when God changes our nature, now I learn of him and realize that the old sin nature or those things that please the flesh destroy me. Now, stop to think about this for a minute. If you knew the outcome of a particular event in your life that didn't turn out well, would you have done it? No, because we go, oh, that really put a hurt. That's going to leave a mark. (laughs) Well, that's what happens. But when we become born again, God changes the way we see life. God, because he knows the beginning from the end, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, Revelation chapter 22, he knows all things. Since I am found in him, I have fellowship with him. God says, hey, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you see what sin does, the end result of it in your life. Again, this isn't because God's a cosmic killjoy, doesn't want us to have any fun, but God knows something about our idea of fun that is in destruction in the end. That's why God says, I want you to have fun, but I want you to have fun my way not the way of the world. The way of the world shows destruction. Look at all the movie stars that you've seen. Look at all the rock stars that you've seen. They die of overdoses. They die of suicide. They die of all kinds of things because it looks good on the surface, but in the end there's death. That's what the Bible warns us about. So he tells us here, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Isn't that great to know that it isn't, his blood isn't a magic formula. His blood shows that he died on the cross. His blood was shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's why many people believe, and I believe this as well, Cain's offering was rejected. Abel's offering was accepted as he offered the lambs. Cain offered the vegetables. Well, where did he get the idea in the first place that, that, well, we remember when Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal and clothed them with animal skins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So it's either going to be your blood or it's going to be God's blood. If it's God's blood, you're going to live forever. If it's yours, you're dead. That's the bottom line. Well, verse 15, some new ground here. He is the express image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This is who Jesus Christ is. Now, this is important because um, you need to know how to defend yourself. The religions of the world have basically two things in common. Jesus Christ is not God. There is no hell. Those two go hand in hand with the cults of the world. 
So how do you prove that Jesus Christ is God? You need to know how to defend yourself from the word of God. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. This word image is an interesting word. It's the word icon. You've heard of that word. Well, now there's a real icon. Well, the word image means icon in the Greek. And it means the exact copy. It's everything about him. It's like you look in a mirror and see the reflection. That is an icon of who you are. Well, he also tells us the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The, those that want to discount who Jesus Christ is say, oh, see, he was firstborn. First there was Jesus and then there was animals and then there was people. Because it says firstborn. Well, it's because they don't understand the word firstborn. Because when we really go into the original Hebrew, the Bible, the, the rabbis would teach that, that God is the firstborn over everything. Now, that doesn't mean God was born. It means he's the first bearer of everything. It's really important to understand that. Jesus is the first maker of everything is what it's saying. The firstborn over all creation. In fact, when we go to the book of John, all things were made by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and without him not anything made is made. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the maker of everything. Isn't that great to know? And they were made for him. Why? To give him for God's pleasure. I have no problem with that. So that tells me something that anything less than pleasing God in my life as a creation of God is going to be a cheap, meaningless experience. In other words, if you were designed as a Ferrari to drive 240 miles an hour on a racetrack and all you do is putz around the neighborhood getting your groceries, what a waste, isn't it? A bicycle will do that. You're not using that for what it was designed for. And that was to go 240 miles an hour and run Grand Prix. Well, here's why the problem is. The thing is, you are designed for a higher purpose than what you visualize of putzing around the neighborhood in your bicycle picking up groceries. Now, if anybody here puts around the neighborhood on their bicycle picking groceries, I didn't mean to offend you. But you were designed by God for so much more. So... Letting God show his manifestation of his power in your life for who you are is what God wants to do to maximize you. It isn't that I'm going to maximize me. And this is the problem again, as we find oftentimes in the, a lot of the ideas going around today in church and, and churches is that it's all about me. Well, God, I want to put you in my pocket and climb to the top. That isn't what it's for. We were created for him, it says, not the other way around. Now, a lot of times people want a God that's a Santa Claus. I just want a God that, you know, the jack-in-the-box Jesus. And ding, 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 pop goes Jesus. What can I do for you today? You know, kind of thing. Well, that isn't what the Bible says God does. And he tells us here, 
By him, all things were created. That's who Jesus Christ is. He's not Michael the archangel. He's not the half-brother of the devil. The Bible tells us he's God. And it tells us that in him, God dwelt in bodily form. In other words, he is the full icon manifestation of God. Now, again, the Old Testament. God was kind of a mystery. Would appear to Moses up on a mountain, give him the Ten Commandments, take two tablets, gave them to him, brought them down, got mad at everybody, broke them, went up, God was gracious, and gave another set. But the point we look at here is this, is that God, because it was slightly veiled, it, once it wasn't like that, God would come and walk with man in the cool of the evening. That fellowship. Well, when man broke fellowship with God, started taking order, you know, Satan says, eat of the tree. Man goes, okay. And we've been listening to the devil ever since. But that wasn't the original design. The original design was that God would have fellowship with man. When that fellowship was broken, the, the, the relationship, the communication with God became a mystery. This is what you find today in the false religions of the world. It's a mystery. Well, we don't know. We've got to appease this God. Let's burn some incense. Let's, let's uh, crawl up the Sistine Chapel on our bare knees on broken glass. Some way we'll appease this God. Let's go out and bury ourselves out in the desert so just our little bald head sticks out of the ground. This ought to appease God. The weird things that people do. Yeah, the deals people try to make with God. You know, God's unknowable. You know, I made a deal with God. You know, God, you save my cat and, you know, I'll go to church next Sunday. <laughs> I like making deals. The weird things, the ideas that people get to appease God. Well, God was fully appeased with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And again, we get back to this, something we as Christians take for granted. How do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, I've done the best I can. No wrong answer. We go to heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. We've accepted him as our Savior. That is why we go to heaven. Not because I'm good, I'm better than somebody else, I'm better than the guy next door. I go to heaven because Jesus Christ is good. That's what grants me access to heaven. Now, the reason why that's important is you find a lot of people out trying to earn it. A lot of churches are trying to get their organizations and cults, trying to get their people out to, you know, sell flowers in airports and get out there and knock on some doors. And, well, the thing is, heaven's mine. Heaven is yours if we'll just take it. I don't have to earn it. It's something God has given us. All things were created through him and for him. That's the purpose, what God has done. If you're not serving God today, you are serving someone, something. And I would invite you to repent because you'll never find your meaning of life doing anything else than serving God. I didn't say it. God said it. You see, you are created in his image for a much higher calling than what we think. We'll never know what that is until we're illuminated going back to verse 11 that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why is that important? To know what you're supposed to do on this earth as God made you. So he tells us. 
He is before all things. And in him all things consist. It's really amazing. He's before all things. All things in him consist. In fact, this is probably one of the only verses that we have why the atom holds together. In him all things hold together. Like charges repel. Remember back in first, second grade, you know, they'd give you two magnets and one had a north and a south on it. And you'd try to put the two south poles together and they'd go boing and push apart. And you flip one around it, and they'd stick the north to the south. The nucleus of an atom are same charges. By nature, they should repel. They don't. God holds it all together. God causes all things to exist. And so, as he tells us here, he holds the world together. You know, I would believe someday when God allows this whole earth to melt with a fervent heat, he's just going to simply take his hand off of the atom and let it do what it would do by natural occurrence, like charges repel, and the whole world, I believe, is just going to go into a nuclear meltdown. The Bible says it melts with a fervent heat. He holds all things together. By the way, if he can hold the atom together, he can hold us together too. I like that. In him is the answers that we need. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, head of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that all things may have the preeminence. Now again, The firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? He's the first one that came back to life to grant all of us eternal life. We remember that up to the time that Jesus rose from the dead, there wasn't really any hope for everlasting life. The Bible tells us Jesus gives a great illustration where rich man and Lazarus die. And the Bible says that when when Lazarus died, the angels came and got him. I like that. It says when the Rich man died, they buried him. But that wasn't the end of him. The Bible says that we find them both in a place called Sheol. The English word is the word hell, but it's not a proper word. It's really a place of holding. You have those that died without Christ going to the torment side of Sheol. And then you have the paradise side, the Abraham's bosom side, that was comfort. And we know that they could converse one to another. A lot of interesting things about that particular story. Remember the rich man was aware of who Abraham was. He could communicate. He also remembered who Lazarus was, which also causes me to think if a person in hell knows who somebody is, they probably would remember all the mean things they did to other people. Maybe even Lazarus. We also realize that this man in Sheol, in the torment side, calls out to Father Abraham to come dip his finger in the water, send Lazarus over to cool his tongue. He's tormented in the flame. We know that there's a place of torment, of fire. He also knew he was thirsty, so he was very much aware of physical need. We also know that he said, tell my five brothers not to come to this terrible place. So he had a lot of consciousness going on there. He he had his physical needs. He had his thoughts, his patterns. And we remember that we have this description of this place where people would go. 
Now, the Bible here says the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. When Jesus came back to life, the Bible says he preached to those in the Abraham's bosom side, those that were in captivity that died in faith, and he led them all captive. This place is closed down. Why is that? Well, the blood of bulls and goats could never really cover the sins of man, only the blood of Jesus. But when the supreme sacrifice was made, he did that. Now he says he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the one that proved there was power over death. And I think that's extremely important. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.